So Orla um, from Parent Action, uh, we had a phone conversation, a couple of phone conversations before prior to this to kind of, I always like to speak to everybody in advance and figure out, right, where we're going, blah, blah, blah. and just also to get to talk to you and get to, get to know you. So um, whenever we first spoke, you absolutely blew my mind. And to be fair, I've hardly had a minute where it, it wasn't in my head about, about having this conversation with you today because it's very important um, but also I live in a wee bubble, a wee fantasy world where A plus B equals C and when it comes to people with disabilities in my bubble I thought well there's legislation in place and you know we have ramps and the buses do this and there's you know and there's lots of things in place to support disabled people because of the legislation and then you said no that's not how it works. And that's what we need to talk about today, about your social enterprise parent action, which addresses the needs of parent carers. Tell me in a nutshell what parent action does. Okay, so, and thanks again, Kate, for that. And I really apologise about the mind-blowing again. Um, but yeah, it is, it is really important. Um, and I was in the same position as you. Um, whenever I, before I had my young son, who is now 15, um, and he has disabilities. Um, and I was working as a nurse, as a community children's nurse, and I thought everything was in place for children with special needs. Absolutely everything. People trip over themselves to help you. So um, when my son was diagnosed in 2009 with a lifelong health condition, which he was always going to have, and his needs were likely to increase as he got older at age two and a half, I thought, grand, because I was a children's nurse and I worked in the health service with children with disabilities. And I thought, great, I know how the system works. This is going to be fab. And unfortunately, like you say, it wasn't the case. So. Long story short, we, um, me with another uh, few parent carers who we were just trying to support each other through our journeys. Let me stop you. Tell us yeah. what a parent carer is. Oh, sorry. Parent carer is the parent of babies, children, young people and adults with disabilities. And we have had to, in parent action, make a distinction between parent carers and parents because of our experiences, if you like. Mm -hmm. Which, which we'll, we're going to we'll talk, talk about, about in a wee so. way. Mm -hmm. yeah. So... Um, this group of parents and I um, felt that, you know, our children weren't getting what they needed to get, the, su the support that they needed, which was a hell of a shock to me, given the fact that I was a public service professional and assumed that every child with a disability, when they're diagnosed, gets all the help they need, like you say. And that obviously wasn't the case. It wasn't the case of these other three parents who came on board with me. And we set up Parent Action in 2014. And um, originally, just to try and make visible, like we're doing today, the experiences of a parent who has a child with disabilities, be they a child or an adult, are completely different from the experiences of a parent who doesn't have children with disabilities, uh, in Northern Ireland specifically, but we find it, it, it's wider than that as well. So parent cares, as I've said, are distinct from parents and Parent Action is a social enterprise set up by parent carers for parent carers. So we um, come together as an organisation and in designing our services, because our parent carers have designed our services, they have told us what's missing. They have told us what would be beneficial to make a difference in their lives and especially in the lives of their children, often who have siblings who don't have disabilities and who get left out of the whole thing as well. So, um, yeah, Parent Action, uh, like I say, was set up by parent carers for parent carers and it was facilitated by me. Um, because I have experience of doing this, working with nurses in my professional life, of using particular methods of facilitation. We were able to get together and talk. And 
and and listen to parent carers and what they felt they needed would, and what would make a difference. And we've created um, out of that something called a peer advocacy service, so um, which helps parent carers express their views on behalf of their child, um, who often has difficulty communicating both their needs and their views um, because of their additional needs. So there's communication barriers with every child, doesn't matter what diagnosis is. Their disability means they can't communicate often, rarely verbally. And therefore their parents, like every parent, is an advocate, a natural and a first advocate for your child. Um, because when they're babies, they can't speak for themselves either. And that's the same for children with disabilities. Parents' natural role is to speak on your child's behalf and to promote their human rights. Um, parent carers experience in Northern Ireland is that they are denied the opportunity to do that for their child and their child therefore misses out on an awful lot of things that children with who don't have disabilities just naturally get. Okay? And you had mentioned before that that you know you were dealing with parent carers about what was missing Yes. and what is missing is is mind-blowing to me. Okay. Do you want to run through some of the some of the things that that they that the children with disabilities haven't been able to access and that the parents haven't been able to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the reason we set up a parent, uh, an advocacy service as a solution to that, um, and I'll give you a bit more detail on, is because parents were telling us they have no voice. They're effectively silenced by their experiences of trying to get the services that their child needs. So um, our advocacy services reflect the lived experience of parent cares, which is very important because every parent cares experience is different, but there are similarities that we have found in parent action since 2014 from what parent cares are telling us. And these similarities are what we focused on as being what's missing. Okay. Um, so parent cares through working with parent action are enabled and empowered to give voice to their child their child's best interest and best wishes is very important even when they're non-verbal every child can communicate every parent is the expert in their unique child um, especially when they have disabilities and knows what they like and what they don't like and what they want and what their aspirations are um, and how to get them so parent carers are enabled and empowered we get the, give them the skills to give voice to what they feel their children need but also and, and that goes into adulthood as well um, because these children's disabilities and communication problems, you know, continue over the age of mm -hmm. 18. You don't suddenly become verbal and able to articulate your own needs when you turn 18, when you have disabilities. Um, and our children are, and even adult children are significant risk of being ignored. But these needs aren't, um, I'd like a yellow t-shirt. It's the fundamental essence of of living that they're missing out on give me give me some examples of, of the things that they like between school and whatever talk to us okay. about that okay. just break it down so i think um the, probably the best way to do it is to give example my own experience as okay. a parent car um and talking about the experiences of me along with my three children because i keep forgetting to mention the other two and i always have to promise that i will um so the four of us going through a journey um but my son finn is now 15 and has disabilities like i was saying so i suppose just a really brief timeline of our experiences and that would start probably when he was diagnosed with his disability in 2009 at age two and a half and I thought like you said you know everything was just going to click into place and like I said to you yesterday was more than here's your child's diagnosis best of luck to you next mm -hmm. that was our experience for six years nobody darkened my door and said to me your child has this lifelong disability diagnosed 
what do you think we should be doing to help you help your child you know meet its full potential so that that was what I was expecting never happened 2009 so um my son started because he wasn't getting the support started having difficulties in his mainstream primary school and because I have to tell you my son is we describe him as a child magnet he is just and I, I am biased he is blonde and incredibly handsome and he's a he's a big guy and has been a big child um but had significant speech and language delay along with his autism and began to become very anxious and very frustrated because he didn't understand what was expected of him in his primary school and the staff there didn't have the resources or skills to support him. So they weren't the trained in how to no. communicate no. and listen and understand him? They didn't have autism specific training. So like I was saying to you yesterday, if you don't know how to speak autism, when you're a professional trying to teach a child or trying to deliver, you know, to work with a child as a speech and language therapist or an occupational therapist, if you don't have training in how to speak autism, as I call it, it's like trying to work with that child and you're speaking Spanish to him and he doesn't speak Spanish. So you can see how that just wouldn't work, that that was a major barrier to him getting the support he needed. So that was the case for the staff in his wonderful mainstream primary school, he did everything they could. Um, Finn's behaviour became increasingly difficult to manage. Um, I was getting calls every day to come pick him up at 11 o'clock. You know, we got to school on the bus at nine o'clock and he just was beyond coping. He was, you know, but his behaviour, he was acting out because he was anxious and scared right. and yes. Yeah, and that's, a, that presented that's a really as important thing and something that I knew as a children's nurse, that all children communicate their feelings and emotions through their behaviour. Their behaviour is a mode of communication. Unfortunately, without the skills of the adults around them to understand that, that behaviour looks like what's called a bad behaviour. Um, and within school settings particularly, that's often looked on as a disciplinary thing. You need to, you know, put in sanctions and punish the child for behaving like that. My son was actually communicating that he was frightened, that he couldn't understand what was being expected of him. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and it was being misinterpreted. And that's what I mean by the staff couldn't speak autism. They didn't understand what he was trying to tell them through his behaviour. And obviously then the anxiety increased. And children with autism particularly, uh, which my son has, they feel their emotions more, if you know what I mean. Everything's a huge emotion. Most three and four and five year olds feel their emotions like that as well. But they, because they don't have the verbal ability to communicate their emotions, they rely on their behaviour. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, his behaviour became uncontrollable. And then he, he was excluded from the school? Well, his wonderful principal um, asked him, uh, sorry, had to fight with the education authority, who is the body responsible for all schools and how they do stuff in Northern Ireland. A lot of parents seem to think that schools are isolated and make their decisions on their own. They don't. There's very tight legislation, like you say, guiding how schools behave, particularly to children with special needs. Um, and there's huge problems with that in Northern Ireland and that's come out during the pandemic as well and the Northern Ireland Assembly and the Northern Ireland Children's Commissioner and various other children's rights bodies have been looking into special educational needs because we were facing these invisible barriers and nobody knew anything about mm -hmm. it. So he, he had to move school then mm -hmm. because the school that he was in didn't have the capacity to give him a smaller class. That's what um, was, he was assessed by an educational psychologist, more fabulous people, but very hard to find. So this is where the legislation isn't being met, but it's, this, is a, yeah. this is a resources issue. Yeah. They didn't have the money to, yeah. yeah. Okay, so well, we went it's to not that school. they didn't have the money, they just didn't want to spend it. 
Okay. Yeah. So there's not enough educational psychologists. Uh And that's why it took so long for him to be assessed. Meanwhile, he was basically not in school. And that was the impact. And how long was he not in school? He was he was in school for an hour every day for probably about six or eight months until his new school place was found. And that was another mainstream school 20 miles away. Uh, Mainstream primary school. His brother and sister were in this wee rural primary school. Fantastic. That was really close to us. So that was a big wrench for him as well. It was trauma because he knew his brother and sister in the in the school, and he would see them. And then he was traveling, and he yes. was diff- he was treated differently, you know. And he felt he was being treated, you know. But he felt he was bad, and he would have said that, you know, he didn't want to be a bad boy, but he couldn't control it. He was you know, scared. So he was being punished mm-hmm. for being scared by being taken away from his brother and sister. And can't communicate any of this. Okay. Can communicate it to me, mm-hmm. um, but I couldn't communicate it to anyone else. Okay. So that's where we're, that's you were asking about what was missing. There was no there was no method by which I could speak on his behalf into the education authority about how all of this was affecting him and what support he needed, which okay. is another reason why we as parents have set up her in action. Mm-hmm. So we did move and for 18 months to another fabulous school who were under resourced um, to an overcrowded learning support unit there. They had they were full to capacity, but we had no choice, you know. Um, and he only managed an hour and a half every morning for 18 months. And I think that's that's where I had actually given up work at that stage um, because I was working as a uh, I was working as a team manager in the health service. And, the, you know, I was getting calls at 11 o'clock in the morning when I was working in Newry to come 30 miles to pick up my yeah, child to and take him home because I couldn't mm-hmm. go. Had to give up work. And that's a big thing I want to talk to today that there's huge amounts of parent carers who are highly skilled and um, qualified who simply cannot get out to work and meet the skills shortage that we have in every sector, not just the public sector in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And Parent Action's really interested in working with employers mm-hmm. to try and, you know, cross that uh, yeah, gap as well. We'll talk about that because we need to talk about yeah. the social enterprise size of what you do. So Good. he went to the school and then eventually um, 18 months of this, it was nonsense. He wasn't getting any better. His mental health was in fact going down the tubes, as was mine, as, well, as was our financial situation, because I wasn't working. Um, so with the help of organisations like the Middletown Centre for Autism um, and uh, the Northern Ireland Commissioner for Children and Young People's Office and the school itself, we got him reassessed again by the Education Authority and it was deemed he needed to go to a severe learning disability school one that was quite close to us now it was full to capacity so he was at home again for three months and began to have suicidal ideations and just saying things like i want to die and i don't want to be in this world he was seven that's hard to hear coming seven at that stage and i like i said i have there was nobody who could i tell turn to for help there literally was nobody and that's another thing that's missing so this huge gap whenever child is suffering in that way, particularly around their mental health, any child, what do parents do to help them? Yes, because you had said to me on the phone he wasn't able to access counselling. Yes, that's right, because of his communication difficulties, yeah. So when you think about counselling or CBT or anything else that's offered to anyone, um, but when it's offered to children, you have to be at a certain verbal level, a cognitive level, you can't have a learning disability and engage one-to-one with somebody who's had no specialist training and talking to somebody with disabilities about your innermost feelings and thoughts. You know, if anybody's ever been to counselling, and I'm sure quite a few people have now, it's, it's, you need to build up trust and rapport before you start to, 
and Finn just wasn't didn't have the verbal ability to be able to access that. So there's something and else that's missing. Absolutely. Mm. Early intervention mental health support for children who are non-verbal or who have communication difficulties is absent, absent in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. So that's another big reason. So when he finally went to a special school, things started to improve. Took us a long time to get him in the door because this time he, by this time he had four years of trauma. And we need to start thinking in terms of when we're dealing with children, even young children and their parents, that they are traumatized by the time they get to where they need to go because they've been fighting for years. So my son, um, because of the interventions that the specialist school had available to them, after the education authority were finally convinced to put more resources into that school, which is filled with the gunnels. We were told he couldn't go there because there was no room, physically no room, but also no staff to look after him. The principal of that school and the children's commissioner had to get involved again with the education authority on my son's behalf to force them to give some more money to hire a classroom assistant. And then he was able to start. So he had four more months of trauma at home with no special support at all until he got into his school. Four years of fabulous support from that special school then. And my, I got my son back, is how I can describe it. Very quickly, actually, within six or eight months, I recognised my child again instead of this really unhappy suicidal demon, you know, that, that he had become because of the years of trauma as a young child he'd been experiencing. Mm -hmm. So he then began with his highly, he is highly intelligent. Most children have higher than average intelligence when they have autism. Um, quite a lot of them, um, only some of them would have a, a learning disability. So he began to see, once the anxiety went down, his confidence started to grow, but also he was more aware of the sort of setting that he was in and it didn't meet his needs because he didn't have the learning disability that all of, the ch all of his peers in the school had and he was frustrated, he was very, very clever and he was beginning to notice that this isn't where I should be. So the behaviour unfortunately started again the anxiety and the frustration started again, both at home and at school. And I started getting phone calls again, 10 o'clock in the morning. And any parent cares watching this, I'm just going, uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah. You know, the school has no other option in many cases, but to do that, because they can't guarantee the safety of the other children in the class and the staff, with my, definitely with my child, who's not on the small side, very tall and handsome, like I was saying. So there again thankfully i hadn't managed to start work but i had started parent action at this stage and we were a greater network of parent carers and we were beginning to see that this wasn't just in our local area that this was systemic this is a systemic failure problem mm -hmm. so um there were quite a few issues and then lockdown hit so i had removed him from school for his mental health for his health and safety because the school just couldn't manage him mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was told by the Education Authority that they couldn't do anything or place him anywhere else before lockdown because I, as his parent, had made the decision to move him, even though it was to keep him safe and the staff and the other children safe. In the school. So this is where the distinction is between parents and parent carers, because obviously the impact, you know, we're, we're talking about, about about Finn and about, you know, his experience in school, but obviously the impact on you and your two other children, um, financially, emotionally, uh, Everything yeah. was was affected by this, and that's something that um, a parent won't have to go through who isn't a parent carer. Yeah, and that that's where you come in yeah. because the legislation's there, but the, but it isn't being implemented. It isn't being, and I think that's where my mind was blown because I was going, hang on, but the, but the law says you can't do that, and you're like, it's not happening. Yeah, it's not happening, and that's where the really mind blowing bit is. And like, how many parents, how many parent carers, sorry, would you be sort of work? 
in your network at the minute? Um, so uh, that was a real difficulty. And find we, we discovered in 2014 when we were starting to set up Parent Action was right, right to your beneficiary group is parent cares, these parents of babies, children, young people and adults with disabilities. How many of them are there? So we started looking and we realised that nobody's counting. So we didn't know. There's no record of we how many. Know. We didn't know. Up until, so between 2014 and 2017, I was still looking as were all the other parents who were working with me. I mean, who's gathering information how many parents there are of children, young people and adults with disabilities in Northern Ireland or the UK or anywhere, in fact. And we couldn't find anywhere until 2017 when we encountered a UK-wide charity called Contact, which is a charity for families of children with disabilities. Now, that's only up to the age of 18. And every couple of years they do a survey um, based on census data in, in local, every council across the UK. And of course, we have 11 councils in Northern Ireland and part of the, the the data research they did was they identified how many parent cares there were per council area in Northern Ireland. And that was based on 2011 census figures. And still people don't believe me about that. I've quoted that at conferences, but there's actually in 2011, there was over 300,000. And those are only parent cares of children under the age of 18. And we all know very well with the Muckamore Abbey hospital um, issues that have been up there. I mean parent carers of adults with disabilities are not accounted in that number. And again, that was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. so figures. It's a massive amount of families yeah. are yeah. impacted by this. Yeah. And our job really today is to kind of look at um, the social, because obviously I mean, you, you told me a lot of people, a lot of stories, a lot of things that are, are going on that are you know, within classrooms and within that would just, we could fill 10 podcasts with it. But what we need to look at today is um, how parent action can help employers essentially because you as you, as you said if there's, there's 300,000 people most likely who have disabled children who are parent carers who aren't working because you obviously as you said you, you were a team leader you were in in, in the health, health service, service. I'm never, obviously very qualified you you have a PhD actually do, yeah. and your skills weren't being used at that time how many other people and how many jobs do we have vacant at the minute? We have so many skills that are needed. So what can Parent Action do then to kind of help? Okay, so the reason we, we set up as a social enterprise then in 2017 is because um, we felt that um, the population of parent carers, whether it's 300 and more than likely over half a million in Northern Ireland come the 2021 uh, census, figures whenever they eventually come out. This is a huge workforce of highly skilled people. So my experience, I, I got married and started having kids a wee bit on the later side, but that's more of a trend from a from a woman's point of view. And I had, like I said, a huge academic career, um, 23 years of a clinical career, huge expertise. And that stopped dead because my son received a diagnosis um, of a disability and then couldn't the supports just weren't available for me to go to work. So along the way from 2014, I've met huge amounts of very, very qualified and skilled, mostly women, we have to say. Um, the contact survey I was telling you about that, you know, the large proportion of parent carers are women, the ones who give up the work to stay at home, look after the child because there's no childcare and the child's been excluded from school and they can't get health and social care services at home. Um, so there's just this huge workforce out there who are listening to the newscast about the skills deficits and especially after Brexit and everything, who physically cannot get out and practically cannot get out to work. Parent Actions, one of our main goals is to 
enable and empower parent carers to improve their own lives for themselves. We don't advocate for parents. Parents are perfectly good, well able to do that themselves. What they don't understand is the complex mess of public services that their child must get access to in order for their child to reach their full potential and in order for the parents to be the parents they want to be. And parents of children who don't have disabilities simply do not face those barriers. Um, so what we really want to do is help employers tap into the huge workforce out there with our support in parent action and our skills in enabling and empowering employers or potential employers of some of these people to enable and empower the parents, that huge parent care workforce, which currently isn't utilised, to get back into work mm. for all the financial benefits, for all the psychological benefits that the, that gives to parent carers. Again, mostly women um, who are currently staying at home. Me, last 10 years, 10 years I've been unable to, I just stopped applying for jobs because, you know, even if I was successful, I wouldn't have been able to go and mm. do my job. So you can help the employers understand the needs of absolutely a parent carer. Yeah. Because there's, there's, there's hundreds of businesses surely would be thinking, well, I don't really care at what time this job is done. You know, if you if you have a job in PR, you have a job um, proofreading or something like that, where you could think, well, it doesn't really matter what time, as long as this is done, then I don't mind if they're doing it in the middle of the night or whatever. Exactly. And a lot of parent carers would just be like, give it to yeah. me because. Yeah. So exactly, and a good example of how that is, you know, many people would disagree with me, but COVID-19 was a real benefit for parent carers. The whole pandemic and the whole movement of everything that we do online. And in 2020, we received some grant funding to bring our, online, our services online, our independent advocacy service called Parent Action Connects. And we enable and empower those, each of those individual parents to identify where the barriers are, get the services their child needs to move them towards returning to work. And that's what we do, but we do it online. And we have found as parent carers, because I'm a complete technophobe, that that has been life changing for many parents. The, the, work, the flexible working options that have come around as, as a result of COVID um, and that employers are hugely developing and trying to make things as um, efficient and effective for their employees when it comes to flexible working. So our parent carers, and you were asking me earlier, we've worked with over 800 parent carers since 2014, 2016, when our independent advocacy services, Parent Action Connects, actually started up. Um, and we're, we're also looking to, we, we also work to upskill those parents that we work with in their negotiation and advocacy skills, which are hugely beneficial to their own personal development, but also their employability. Mm -hmm. um, and connecting them with organisations that can help them get back into work and overcome these barriers, but particularly connecting them with employers. And so you can consult with an employer to kind of help them mm -hmm. understand the needs Their and how to support. Need. Yep. Because actually, I mean, we're talking about the parent carers who are out of work. There's, yep. uh, I'm sure, so many, like a, a thousands here are also in work and, yep. you know, they're, they're maybe being treated Including the same the way as, service. Yeah, and they're being treated the same way as any other parent. Yeah. And the stress and the pressure that that must put on them. Yeah. And as you say, even um, once you're trying to get back into work, maybe think, well, do part of me a plan because I, I need to I need leave at yeah. short notice or yeah. I need whatever. Yeah. And that's that's a huge impact on their identity as well. So I suppose you work and, with the parent carers to help them. Absolutely. And, and you're, just as you're saying, they're their mental health as well. So when you have parents like me who've been out of work for years, there is a mental health impact. And then the mental health impact becomes a barrier to my reemployment as well. Um, so this is one of the reasons why we chose a social enterprise model for parent action, because it's all about generating um, 
empowerment and social connectedness for our beneficiaries who are our parents, carers, and then ultimately for their children and their whole families and their communities. But it's also about generating enough income to address that huge social need, which is that parent carers need support in getting back into the workplace, especially if they've been out. Some of our parent carers, highly qualified to more than degree level, who've been out of work for decades because they can't get together support that public services should be getting for for their child to enable them to get out to work. Mm-hmm. So, so, so it's, it's, there's a whole from the whole improving your employee, your employees, your workforce, mental health and resilience, especially after COVID, um, and getting them more flexible ways of working. Parent Action could give you some real insights into how that would work for parent carers for mm-hmm. employers. And that obviously, that's only one strand of what you do is the sort of the. Um, consultancy and training for employers and people who are wanting to return to work but you're challenging the the legislation and 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 so much that you're doing so um for anybody who wants to get in touch with you if it's Mm -hmm. say say it is um, an employer um or or a parent who's just like i didn't know that you existed and yes that's that's me absolutely where can they find you okay so the best way to get in contact with me is uh, via email or just directly via phone and i can con myself it'll be myself but we have other independent advocates as well um is just orlaparentaction at gmail.com we have our new website parent action connects which is hopefully launching towards the end of april of this year which is uh which will have everything parent action on it including stories um, of from parent carers, um, but also you know the campaigning and the work that we've been doing since 2014, 2016, the projects that we have um, been funded to do and the outcomes of those and how they've designed through working with parent carers, how we want to go in our next five-year strategy, which is also going to be launched sort of in the middle of 2022 as well, which will sh- which has been designed by our parent care members who've said this is what we want Parent Action to do for the next five years, and part of it is setting up services and supports for employers and that includes in the public sector as well um, developing our independent advocacy services so that more parent carers can find out about our services but also of all the other social enterprises and community and voluntary organizations and services and supports to help them get back into work and to help their child get the services they need um, and then we're also um, developing training programs for public service providers mostly around their duties um, to fill that gap uh, and make sure that they're engaging with parent carers and providing the services that our children have a human right to expect. And then we're also um, working with parent carers to, desi- to design some campaigns. We call them community campaigning, and that'll all be on the website. And our parent carers bring issues to us, and we design a campaign strategy then um, with a timeline and everything to it. And um, then we try to raise public awareness of the experiences of parent carers. It's very important that we do this anonymously though, because I can remember Mm. blowing your mind by saying, parent carers have no option but to go to the broadcast media to tell of the trauma that they and their children are experiencing. And that's actually a breach of their their and their child's human rights um, to privacy and family life. And the reason that's the only choice and our broadcast media are absolutely vital in raising awareness of what's going on with our beneficiary group and our children particularly. But unfortunately, they don't have a choice. They can't, you know, they can't stay anonymous and they can't have that. So um, that's another reason why we want to engage with public service providers and with um, the media through ideas like this, but also with private businesses and the general public, just to raise awareness of 
the huge amount of parent carers who are experiencing this today. This is this this isn't something that happened years ago. This is still happening today. Children are being excluded from school. Parents are being excluded from the workplace um, because they have children with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that through the work that you do, Kate, and, and all of your colleagues, that, that we use that as well to raise awareness. So while we're doing all those other things, we're, our, our main goal really is to raise awareness and to try and find solutions. Work with people like public bodies to find solutions to this. We're not out to punish. We're not out to take you to the court. Want it fixed. We just, we just, I yeah. just want my child to go to school. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's not the moon and the stars. Did we cut it there? That was that was a brilliant ending. Happy? Hello. I think we were Thank definitely you very much for minutes. that. I think we were 